0: Are you that weirdo who fears satanic panic more than the actual devil himself? Then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to Happy Hour Gets Weird. And I'd just like to issue a trigger warning. We will be discussing graphic details of alleged child abuse. Hello, and welcome or welcome back. I'm Cassie. And I'm Tiffany. And this is Happy Hour Gets Weird.
1: Thank you so much for joining us for Happy Hour.
0: Yes. And today for Happy Hour, we are drinking a maximalist delight. This is going to sound kind of crazy. And that's why I added it to our spooky season because it fits right in. (laughs) It is. Are you ready for this? It's kind of a mouthful in more ways than one. (laughs) <laughs> That's what
1: I actually like. I prefer a mouthful
0: <laughs> It is a jalapeno mint avocado margarita. I know what
1: what are you gonna say what's what's on the rim? are you gonna leave off the extra rim ingredient
0: um no, I'm gonna add what's on the rim I'm gonna say it of course of course okay. of course okay so this is pretty much a basic margarita I know <laughs> that doesn't I know that. I'm crazy talk. Okay, so you make your basic margarita, and you you just muddle mint and jalapeno, and then your you know your tequila, your lime, mm-hmm. your simple syrup. But then, right before you go to shake the margarita, you put a slice or two of a ripe avocado. Now I know this sounds crazy, and it sounds gross, and it's like, is this a smoothie with tequila in it? I don't know what's going on. So, if you like drinks with aquafaba or an egg white that gives it that rich, kind of creamy texture, like mm-hmm. a whiskey sour, mm-hmm. this avocado does exactly that. And it gives it a very natural, organic, beautiful green color that, you know, because people like colorful drinks, but, you know, realistically, to get a very colorful drink, you usually have to use a lot of like um, synthetic ingredients or, you know, weird ingredients. And then, To make things extra special, you rim it with salt and pepper. I love it.
1: It's like guacamole in a glass. And I also just want to add that I always add tequila to smoothies. I thought that that was what people do. So if I'm wrong, please tell me now. Is this why my gym experiences have been so terrible? Is it the tequila in my smoothies? That sounds so good. And as always, check out our Instagram, Cassie post amazing drink pictures and recipes on there. Um, our Instagram is really fun. So if you like our show, follow us on there and talk to us.
0: Yeah, I always, i if you've listened for a while, you know that I'm like super into astrology. So I always try to post like c- funny, cute astrology memes. I'm also slightly narcissistic. So I usually pick Sagittarius because <laughs> that's what I am. But we only do Sagittarius. We're both Sagittarius, <laughs> so all of
1: us. All of those posts are about Sagittarius. So if you're a Sagittarius, for sure, you check won't. it out. Any other sign might hate it,
0: honestly. No, I do post stuff about other signs though, but <laughs> it, it it is kind of a fun place. We have like memes and episode descriptions and pictures if they go along and obviously the drink pictures and recipes. So, um, yeah, like Tiffany said, check that out. There's, there's just a little bit more behind this, behind the show on Instagram, um, so that's drink we're having today during Happy hour, which honestly it's so it sounds crazy. Tiffany always says you're such a maximalist when it comes to cocktails, which I am, okay? I am. but it's very it's very simple to make. you you don't you do have to have a shaker just to get the avocado um, kind of emulsified emulsified.
1: but you could do like a pint glass in a bigger plastic cup totally kind of like rig a shaker like that too
0: totally absolutely mm-hmm. um so test it and if you make this margarita let us know how you like it love it hate it let us know <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right well now that we have our drink explained and half drunken drunken drank drinking, drank drank drunk uh <laughs> let's get into our episode So this spooky season, we are doing a block of episodes that all relate to the satanic panic. Yes. Which is a topic that we've touched on a few times and we've hinted at wanting to cover and we're finally here. And we are so looking forward to it. At least I am. You are too, right, Cassie? I didn't push you into this, did I?
0: No, I am looking forward to it as well.
1: This is such a fascinating topic. There are so many different stories and cases and sad tragedies that all kind of swirl around the satanic panic or all relate to the satanic panic. So what we plan on doing this block is we're going to cover a few cases that relate to it. Our one and dones are going to relate to it. And um, for this first episode, we're just going to do a very shallow dive into what the satanic panic was before we get into our specific
0: cases. All right. Well, then I guess without further ado. Yes.
1: Drink. She said it. (laughs) I make up my own drinking games during the
0: episodes. That's my favorite part. Satanic panic was a, quote, moral panic, which was based on unsubstantiated claims of satanic ritual abuse against children, specifically by satanic cults that were alleged to exist across the country and the world in prolific numbers. This panic began in the United States in the 1980s and spread around the world for decades to come. The Satanic Panic was sparked by a book called Michelle Remembers, which was published in 1980 in Canada. The co-authors of this book, Canadian psychiatrist Lawrence Pazder and longtime patient of his, Michelle Smith, whom Pazder later married, yikes, um... I'm not an expert, but sounds a little unethical in my opinion, but (laughs) that's just my opinion. So Padster and Michelle Smith recounted in therapy that she, quote, remembered that she had been abused in the 1950s by her mother and other members of a satanic cult in British Columbia. So the book has since been exposed as a hoax, by several experts and researchers by the time the book became popular in the united states it ignited a power keg of anxiety and tension that the u.s was experiencing at the time and there was a shift to mothers working outside of the home kidnapping victims were suddenly on milk cartons violence against children became more widely known and stranger danger became a thing
1: stranger danger was just barely a thing
0: (laughs) 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 there was also a rise in conservative religious movements that were spreading fear of the devil himself dun dun so when the book michelle remembers came out people suddenly had a villain everyone could rally against satanists according to the book satanic cults abused and murdered children and it was a huge problem i mean obviously that's a huge problem if it's really happening
1: Yeah, if there's uh, cults around every corner and they're hurting kids, that would be a huge problem.
0: Exactly. Um, So shit kind of went crazy from there. Media outlets stoked the fire. They were reporting on all of this satanic ritual abuse. Everyone was talking about this book. And in turn, there were Satanists out there that were committing atrocities.
1: Yeah, this book really blew up. Like, Oprah interviewed these people that wrote this book this was a really big deal and because everyone was talking about this book and the cult that was mentioned in michelle remembers suddenly satanists were the topic of every conversation basically whenever something was going wrong whenever something bad happened people thought that it was a satanic cult
0: to blame right even someone that was slightly different must be a satanist
1: even things that are completely benign If they were slightly spooky, it was like, is this satanic cult
0: material here? Right, right. Um, And based on the material that we have seen and researched, all of these claims were very off base. Satanic panic made people afraid of anything that could even remotely remind them of the devil. Um, Like Tiffany said, Maybe something that had nothing to do with Satanism was all of a sudden satanic, like Dungeons and Dragons. So, with that extremely brief intro to Satanic Panic, we're kind of laying the groundwork um, to what, to the stories that we're going to share today or the cases that we're going to talk about today. Um, I I think we should, I just, let's get on with it.
1: All right. So, most of that information was from Wikipedia. And I think we should close out with one more little fact that I got off of Wikipedia about the Satiatic panic. Quote, Of the more than 12,000 documented accusations nationwide, investigating police were not able to substantiate any allegations of organized cult abuse. End
0: quote. I mean...
1: So that's a pretty staggering number. Um, it is off Wikipedia, so, you know take that as you will but basically there was a lot of allegations and a lot of fear out there Mm -hmm. it was called a panic for a reason but unfortunately it ended up hurting people more than helping people in my opinion at least
0: right yes it was it was devastating I mean I don't think panic is ever a good thing you know I I I panic about um, the holiday dinners and then i end up being a raging fucking bitch for two hours before thanksgiving dinner
1: what about panic I'm- at the disco wait are they still good I'm, um i'm afraid I to talk never about a fan. celebrities i don't know I- <laughs> what they've done like i'm afraid if i say anybody's name <laughs> what's who are they probably something happened i don't know
0: you know what i actually don't think panic in my opinion i panic at the disco was never a band that i actually liked so also not a good panic okay
1: so all all panics are bad panics
0: yeah in cassie's book yes panic is never a good thing okay so
1: i'm going to start and my sources today are an article from vox.com an article from oxygen.com medium.com and anetv.com and wikipedia and we will have links to the articles on our show notes
0: Yes, we always include direct links or roundabout links if there's, you know, a di- direct link is some kind. To- Unless we forget, and then, you know, what are you going to do? Usually, if we forget, we usually go back and add it, so. Well,
1: if if, if you're missing it, just, just email us. We'll send it to you.
0: If you're missing, Google
1: it. If you're missing it. Fuck, <laughs> I'm already being a bitch. <laughs> don't, no panicking, because Cassie <laughs> hates it, so. And if you're Panic at the Disco and you're listening, we apologize.
0: No, I don't. I do. I'm not apologize for my musical opinions. I can't even think of a
1: single Panic at the Disco song, but I apologize that you're so anti-Panic at the Disco. (laughs) I just I feel like that's actually probably a third of our listeners.
0: You know, Panic at the Disco heads. Haven't you ever heard of Goddamn? Oh closing the goddamn
1: door. Oh, I like that song. I'm in. We're 50-50 split on this. Once we get a third, once we get a third and we'll talk, we'll vote and then we'll decide if we're, what side we fall on with this panic. Okay. So fair enough. Jury's still out. Okay. Well, this was important to the intro of this show. (laughs) (laughs) So today I'm covering the McMartin preschool allegations and trial. In 1983, Judy Johnson alleged that her two and a half-year-old son had been molested by a teacher at his Manhattan Beach, California preschool called the McMartin Preschool. She claimed that the teacher who molested him was 23-year-old Ray Bucky, who was technically, I believe, an aide at the school. At the time of the allegations, the child in question had been to the preschool around 10 times. Ray Bucky was questioned; his home was searched. Then Bucky was arrested on September 7th, 1983. Police confiscated evidence, including a rubber duck, a graduation robe, a teddy bear, and pages from a Playboy magazine. They also attempted to have Judy Johnson's two-year-old or three-year-old pick Ray out of a lineup, which to me is so absurd. I don't even think I should address it, but um, the three-year-old could not pick Ray Bucky out of a lineup, which to me doesn't mean one thing or another because he's three. Police also had interviewed a few different parents before the arrest of Ray Bucky, but I don't believe anything actually came from those interviews one way or another. The interviews were kind of dead ends. So while all this was going on, Judy Johnson's allegations were ramping up and becoming more bizarre. She also claimed that the daycare had sexual encounters with animals, that um, a teacher drilled a child under the arms, and that Ray Bucky flew in the air and had dressed her son in women's clothing and played doctor with him. Flew in the air like? Like a witch.
0: Oh, nice. Okay.
1: So the day after Ray Bucky was arrested, police sent out a form letter to about 200 parents of the students at the McMartin Preschool. So this letter stated that their children might have been abused and the letter asked the parents to question their children. Okay, so now I'm going to read the letter. September 8th, 1983. Dear parent, this department is conducting a criminal investigation involving child molestation. Ray Bucky, an employee of Virginia McMartin's preschool, was arrested September 7, 1983 by this department. The following procedure is obviously an unpleasant one, but to protect the rights of your children as well as the rights of the accused, this inquiry is necessary for a complete investigation. Records indicate that your child has been or is currently a student at the preschool. We are asking your assistance in this continuing investigation. Please question your child to see if he or she has been a witness to any crimes or if he or she has been a victim. Our investigation indicates that possible criminal acts include oral sex, fondling of genitals, buttocks, or chest area, and sodomy, possibly committed under the pretense of taking the child's temperature. Also, photos may have been taken of children without their clothing. Any information from your child regarding having ever observed Ray Bucky to leave a classroom alone with a child during any nap period or if they have ever observed Ray Bucky tie up a child is important. Please complete the enclosed information form and return it to this department in the enclosed stamped return envelope as soon as possible. We will contact you if circumstances dictate same. We ask you to please keep this investigation strictly confidential because of the nature of the charges and the highly emotional effect it could have on our community. Please do not discuss this investigation with anyone outside of your immediate family. Do not contact or discuss the investigation with Raymond Bucky and any member of the accused defendant's family or employees connected with the McMartin preschool. This is in caps. There is no evidence to indicate The management of Virginia McMartin's preschool had any knowledge of this situation and no detrimental information concerning the operation of the school has been discovered during this investigation. Also, no other employee in the school is under investigation for any criminal act.
0: I mean, that's a very scary letter to receive as a parent. I cannot see how that would not cause panic.
1: It's a terrifying letter to receive, I mean, I can't even imagine how upsetting it would be to receive this letter as a parent. But also, almost every single thing that the police are asking citizens to do in this letter is fucking bizarre and uh, completely unacceptable. Parents should not be interviewing their own children about something like this.
0: Mm -mm. No way. It's traumatizing. Because as... As someone who's not educated or qualified or considered an expert in the field of forensic interviewing, not just forensic interviewing, but also the forensic interview of a child who had possibly experienced some kind of abuse, it takes an expert. These these require experts in their field. And as a parent, you get this letter, you're emotional, you're panicked, Mm -hmm. you're angry, And there is no way that you know whether or not you are going to ask leading questions.
1: Or also just being so upset. Mm -hmm. It would be hard to talk to your child Mm -hmm. in that headspace of how mm-hmm. emotional you would be. As a parent, you obviously always want to talk to your kids and ask them like is there any, you know, what if, if there's anything going on you want to talk to me about? Like I'm here for you. You mm-hmm. always want to provide a safe space for your children and if as a parent you think that something is going on with your child, obviously you're going to ask questions. Mm-hmm. Any parent is going to ask their child if their child starts behaving differently or if they notice mm-hmm. physical changes in a child, any parent Any present parent is going to ask questions, Mm -hmm. but they're basically asking you to interview your child, which is different than having
0: a conversation as a parent to a child. Right, because the difference between a conversation that would lead to some kind of medical treatment, official interview, is very different than questioning your child after receiving such a horrific letter and using that... As evidence in a trial to convict somebody yeah
1: also the fact that the police ask, send out 200 letters and then say don't say anything to anybody is like okay what planet are we on where you think that 200 people can keep a secret what's that expression the only way two people can keep a secret is if one of them's dead I mean like 200 you think 200 people are going to keep this quiet also they named ray bucky who at this point had only been arrested
0: mm-hmm.
1: with no evidence found except for the word of a single parent and her child who's two and a half and from what i heard in certain articles he was nonverbal at this point so i just they're so they're putting so many people at risk they're putting the children at risk they're putting the parents mm-hmm. at risk and they're putting ray buck ray bucky at risk and i understand that this was the 80s and that protocol was not the same for certain things but there's just so many (laughs) this is just like so many red flags and I don't know like what the fuck is happening I know um and I can also see the other side where if you really think something's going on somewhere you don't want to just not say anything and let these children go back to the school
0: a hundred percent or if there was actual victims that had experienced abuse not know about it
1: exactly but maybe just close the school and then that's just say say we're closing the school right now Mm -hmm. the school will be closed for this amount of time that way the investigation can be private anybody who was around you know if if people have questions they can contact I don't know maybe I don't know the right way to go around about this but I mean I'm not a police officer I'm not a detective so I don't have to know the right way to go around it but I do know this was the wrong way to go about it.
0: Yes. And it's, and also hindsight is twenty twenty with this case. This case happened 40 years ago. Yeah. So, and it's just, it, it ruins so many lives. Oh my goodness. Okay. Okay. So,
1: sorry for the rant. After reading this terrifying letter, several hundred children were brought to the Children's Institute International- the CII, a Los Angeles-based abuse therapy clinic run by Key McFarlane um, to be interviewed. Mm -hmm. Most of these interviews were actually conducted by Key herself. The interviewing techniques used during the investigation of these allegations were incredibly suggestive and invited children to pretend or speculate about supposed events. By the spring of 1984... It was claimed that 360 children had been abused.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: There was also a doctor who performed medical examinations and took photos of what she believed to be minute scarring, which she stated was caused by anal penetration. So let's get back to the methods of questioning uh, used on these children by the CII. To say that the interviews were uh, suggestive and leading would be kind of like an understatement. I th- mm-hmm. I'm i pretty sure that this is one of those cases, from what I've read, that people look back on and they're like, Okay, hey, we need to not do it that way. We need mm-hmm. to make sure we do this instead of that kind of situation mm-hmm. because the interviewing techniques were just really wild. I have two short examples of... Um, Quotes from the interviews Mm -hmm. just because I wanted to use actual quotes just to show how outlandish some of the questioning, the lines of questioning were. Mm -hmm. And I could honestly probably do just a whole episode on like shitty interview tactics, just me reading this stuff Mm -hmm. that I read. (laughs) There was so much stuff that I was like, what? And in this case, so I mean, spoiler, not spoiler, this is an old case and everybody probably knows that. But in this case, the accusations never were actually proven right so these are false Mm -hmm. accusations that ended Mm -hmm. up happening but the whole time i was i was reading the interview techniques and like the letter and all this stuff i just kept thinking okay in this case what they think happened didn't actually happen to these children right Mm
0: -hmm. but
1: what if it had what if these children had gone through this trauma and abuse and then they also had to go through these horrible interview techniques And bizarre lines of questioning. I mean, they would have been re-traumatized all over again.
0: That is one way. And then uh, absolutely probably what happened to some of these children, um, sadly. And then just to statistics, you know, out of 300 kids, I mean, you have to think that some of them were probably actually abused. Mm -hmm. And then you have the children where they were given suggestive lines of questioning. And you know a 2-year-old, 3-year-old, 4-year-old, 5-year-old, they naturally most children that age want to please adults. And they want to give you the the quote-unquote right answer. Right answer. So they're given a suggestive line of questioning by someone who is not qualified or is not good at their job, should not be doing this kind of work, and then they are pictured. They're interviewed. They're on the stand. There, There's pictures being, they're being examined, yes, by doctors, but that could be a form of trauma in itself. Yeah. And multiple
1: times when now adults, the children at the time they were interviewed, now adults, mm-hmm. they explained that basically they would keep being asked the same questions over and over and over until they gave the answer that seemed to suffice. So mm-hmm. It was just very obvious that it was not great uh, interviewing techniques. Okay. Mm-hmm. There was a game that came up during the interviewing called Naked Movie Star. The children said that at the school they played a game called Naked Movie Star. Oh. So okay. the social worker was asking them about, was asking another child if they had ever seen a game called Naked Movie Star. And when the child denied, seeing the naked movie star game Mm -hmm. the social worker said quote well what good are you you must be dumb (gasps) end
0: quote what oh oh my gosh this is so those poor children those poor children so there's a
1: book there is also a book that came out about this which I didn't have time to read and in that book they said that um Which we'll link the book in our show notes also. And that book, one of the quotes from a therapist was when a child um, denied ever being abused or seeing Mm -hmm. abuse, the um, therapist said, quote, you're just a scaredy cat. And that's (gasps) why they weren't telling him what happened. One of the police that interviewed a child, there's like, a, I believe this is the one where there's a video of it because it was a police interview. Mm -hmm. The police officer, so a child replied, replied, I don't know, to a question about sexual games. And -hmm. the policeman said, quote, did he take your underpants off? You can say yes. Say
0: yes. That's exactly what I'm talking about by suggestive questioning. That's not suggestive.
1: That's literally telling somebody how to answer. That's not a suggestion. That is a command.
0: I mean, and imagine these are three-year-olds. Yeah, I mean it's like four-year-olds, what, five-year-olds, three to
1: three to probably like ten. There's some mm-hmm. of the kids that were previous students, so I don't know how high the age went up. But remember, this all started with the accusation of a mother from her two and a half-year-old.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's the backdrop. Adults are asking leading questions. Mm-hmm. They're only believing children when they say something did happen, mm-hmm. and they're also rewarding them when they do. They're giving positive reinforcement whenever they um, the kids are agreeing with what is being asked about uh, sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. And they're also blatantly criticizing or flat out not believing children who say that they hadn't been abused. Mm-hmm. So this kind of attitude about kind of believing everything that the children are saying, well, I guess everything that they want the children to say there was this kind of rallying cry around this whole case and this whole time period where parents and other advocates started to say quote believe the children Mm -hmm. it was something that was said over and over again whenever um allegations of abuse were brought up which i mean obviously i always believe victims first right but if you are asking leading questions and kind of forcing a a child or anybody who might have been abused into a, a situation where they can only claim yes to abuse i don't think that believe the children is um really what you're doing i it's just it was this kind of you know mantra that everybody would say or whatever everybody was saying believe the children which is a good message to send but in this case unfortunately it just went too far in the total opposite direction
0: where they were just forcing kids to say things that they didn't want to say or they were forcing kids to say things that they wanted to hear.
1: Exactly. And that's when they'd believe the
0: children. Right. And um I actually read an article by that same title and it what seemed to be a mantra. And it's just you know what's so frustrating about this period of time and specifically the satanic panic is it invalidates children. Um, that have been victims of abuse mm-hmm. I feel like and their stories and um, it just muddles things that should not be muddled yeah. this is such a, an important sensitive traumatic topic and experience and it's happening to like our most vulnerable members of society and it just really needs to be handled with care and experts and it just is sad because these kids, while maybe most of them didn't experience sexual abuse in satanic rituals, they were traumatized. And by this whole process of people who were not qualified to be doing this, and then they have to live the rest of their lives with this.
1: Yeah. So like, as I said, the environment of unprofessional and downright harmful behavior from the adults and experts that were interviewing these children, it really led to some terrifying and bizarre allegations. Stories that centered around a satanic cult and a myriad of crimes came out. So I'm going to list those allegations now. So there was obviously allegations of sexual abuse. Um, Children said that they saw witches flying. Children said that they flew in hot air balloons and left the school children said that they were taken through underground tunnels which was a very uh another one of the big major themes running in this case as underground Mm -hmm. tunnels under the school that led to like secret chambers Mm -hmm. or to other places altogether one child identified actor chuck norris as one of the abusers sorry chuck there were claims of orgies At car washes and airports. Um, Those are always my favorite places to have orgies. Well, it's easy to clean up if you're at a car wash, Cassie. (laughs) Good point. Children claimed that they were flushed down toilets to secret rooms where they would be abused. Then they were cleaned up before their parents picked
0: them up from school. Okay, this is making me crazy because... Wait, wait, I'm not done. (laughs) Some children
1: claimed that there was a game called Naked Movie Star which I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. And they suggested that they were um, photographed nude. One child said that Ray Bucky flew in the classroom, took a child to meet a goat man, and then took another child to a house where he let lions roam free. Children claimed that there were animal sacrifices and like horses, rabbits, and other classroom pets are often sacrificed. And a child talked of a baby being sacrificed in a church. Another student said he'd been taken to a graveyard where he helped to um, dig up a coffin. And then he saw a
0: body. So what did you want to say? I. You would think the neighbors would notice the hot air balloons.
1: I refuse to see hot air balloons when they're out in the sky. I look at the ground <laughs> if I see one up.
0: I just this is so frustrating because when we get to my case you will see that there is a parallel in the false accusations it is so bizarre and so frustrating how outlandish these are and and they were just like sounds reasonable
1: yeah so i think that it's obvious that The interviewers obviously had to ask highly suggestive and leading questions for the children to even get to these places because a child wouldn't even have knowledge of most of these things unless they just like watched horror movies all night long, which they might have. I mean, I don't know. But how would children even have information like animal sacrifices and we saw a goat man and uh, that kind of a thing? Like some of the stuff like Mm flushing down toilets I could see, but an orgy. A preschooler knows what an orgy is. Well, I just think that that's just such proof that the interview tactics were not the best. Some people believe that the questioning itself may have led to false memory syndrome among the children in question. mm -hmm. So 41 out of the original 360 children ultimately testified in the grand jury and pretrial hearings. And then there were 11 that testified at the actual trial. So what I infer happened is that they interviewed so many kids and had so many stories and then the prosecution had to whittle it down to the stories that were actually believable Mm -hmm. and could like physically happen. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. And to me, picking and choosing evidence like that just kind of shows how flawed the entire case is. Because some of the abuse was alleged to have occurred in secret tunnels beneath the school, they did several excavations which did turn up evidence of old buildings on site and like debris but no evidence of secret chambers or tunnels is found overall in response to the children's reported allegations authorities are said to have searched 37 cars 11 residences seven businesses three churches two airports and a farm only to come away with no physical evidence seven mcmartin preschool employees were arrested and charged with more than 300 counts of molestation and conspiracy but by the end of the preliminary trial hearing charges had been dropped against five of them a judge declared incredibly weak evidence as the reason for dropping the charges so in the end only ray bucky and owner peggy mcmartin bucky went to trial yes they were mother and son Um, And there was actually two trials that were conducted for the McMartin preschool case. Also, when when the seven preschool employees were arrested, I think four of them were family members. It was Mm -hmm. like Ray's sister, his grandma, his mom. I mean, it's like devastating to this. It's like a whole family and their family business. It's it's bad. Before the trial, Judy Johnson, the parent whose allegations started it all, um, died. She died in December 1986 from what they believe was alcohol-related liver disease. She had also previously been diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia in 1985, but neither of these things were disclosed to the defense counsel.
0: And I feel like this is such a sensitive topic or sensitive happenstance, I I suppose, that it is very nuanced and i feel like all of these factors need to be factored in and not in a way of like shaming someone for for mental health issues or abuse issue or excuse me addiction issues but it's very nuanced right like we need to you know consider the age of the children consider the source consider there's so many things that investigators and experts and social workers and um, sex crime investigators and detectives need to consider, and it's so important that they are ethical and they are doing things ethically and correctly because it could it could spiral so quickly.
1: Yeah, it's obviously not Judy Johnson's fault that she had mental illness or that she no. had addiction issues.
0: But it definitely factors into the case. Yes, investigators
1: should have maybe done a little bit of research into the person making the allegations. Mm-hmm. I wish that Judy Johnson would have gotten the help that she needed and that she didn't have to die. She
0: was I think she was only like 40. That's terrible because her child now has gone through this major traumatic incident maybe possibly has been re-traumatized or traumatized for the first time going through this and then loses her parent I mean it's just I mean what about a second opinion have we ever did we forget about second opinions did we forget about maybe an outside child psychologist doing interviews are we just going to take the word of one person
1: in this case, we're just going to take the word of one okay. person, Okay,
0: nice, 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 nice. And, you know, I don't call me crazy, but I think it's a coincidence that all 300 children seeing the same person are now saying the same stories. Uh, yeah, this whole thing is just sad. So now it's time for trial.
1: The first trial opened in July 13th, 1987. And things went just as kind of as you would expect them to Mm -hmm. because there was no real physical evidence of a crime. So the case kind of fell apart pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. The children's stories changed after their interviewing. Mm -hmm. For example, during trial testimony, one of the children talked about that naked movie star game. Mm -hmm. And they said that it was actually a rhyming taunt that kids would say to each other on the playground. And it went... What you say is what you are. You're a naked movie star. So we're clearing Chuck Norris's name right here, right now. It had nothing to do with having naked pictures taken or celebrities that were in
0: a satanic cult. And this is why I have to stress that it's so important that we get qualified people interviewing um, children in cases like this because it could, it sounds plausible, right? It sounds plausible like. Naked Movie Star is a game that a a, a, a gross adult um, asks you to play and it could definitely lead to abuse. But then it also is plausible that it is just a rhyme on the playground that kids say to each other, well, kind of weird, totally harmless. Yeah, kids are weird. So it's like that's why this the center of this, it just comes down to you really need qualified ethical People doing this work. 100%.
1: So there was also a jailhouse informant used to spy on Ray Bucky, basically. Oh my goodness. Okay. And at this point, Ray Bucky had been adamantly denying all of these charges against him for years. Right. And a jailhouse informant was brought in for two days to his jail cell. Ray ne- never talked to him because he's like, who the fuck are mm-hmm. you? And then the jailhouse informant took the stand and said that Ray Bucky totally confessed. What? Which wasn't true. And everybody knew it. The guy was proven to be unreliable. He actually was supposed to be there for two days. And after the first day, he just like took off and they had to like arrest him and bring him back in because he left when he wasn't supposed to. And the first day he came in and he was like all dressed in a suit and like looking sharp. And then the second day, he was just in a street clothes and none of the. Jury believed him and he was proven to be unreliable and um, his testimony wasn't, um, you know, nobody believed it. I'm not sure if it was excluded from the trial, but it was basically no help at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, Medical experts from the prosecution were also less than uh, helpful in proving the case because there were a couple of them. I think that there were two, but some articles I read said three. Mm-hmm. but they um, made conflicting statements. They had photos, oh my God, they had photos and they, they basically pointed to different areas on the po- the photos that showed um, evidence of abuse. I hate that. I hate everything about that I know which made the jury it just made the jury not trust them. They were supposed to be experts and they couldn't even agree, right? So, after the first trial, Peggy McMartin Bucky was cleared of all charges. Ray Bucky was cleared of 52 of the 65 counts. But although 11 out of the 13 jurors voted to acquit Bucky of the charges, the refusal of the remaining two to vote for a not guilty verdict resulted in a deadlock. So, there was another trial ahead for Ray Bucky. The second trial opened on May 7th, 1990, and resulted in another hung jury on July of 1990. The prosecution then gave up trying to obtain a conviction, and the case was closed with all charges against Ray Bucky dismissed. Ray Bucky had been jailed for five years without ever being convicted of committing any crime before he was finally released. The case lasted seven years and cost $15 million, the longest and most expensive criminal case in the history of California legal system Mm -hmm. and ultimately resulted in no convictions. In 2005, one of the children, as an adult, obviously, retracted the allegations of abuse. Quote, never did anyone do anything to me and I never saw them doing anything. I said a lot of things that didn't happen. I lied. Anytime I would give them an answer that they didn't like, they would ask again and encourage me to give them the answer they were looking for. I felt uncomfortable and a little ashamed that I was being dishonest. But at the time, being the type of person I was, whatever my parents wanted me to do,
0: I would do. Being a child. Being a child. Yeah. I mean, this is so devastating for these children. I mean,
1: yeah, it's devastating for everybody involved. One juror, Brenda Williams, said, quote, I now realize how easily something can be said and misinterpreted and blown out of proportion. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that is the convoluted, wild, crazy, sad, panic-inducing case of
0: the McMartin Preschool allegations and trial. That is, it, it It really is devastating for all involved. Oh my goodness. Um, okay, well... If you didn't get enough with that case, then get prepared for the next case because it is my I, I dare say even more wild and crazy.
1: So it just goes down from
0: here. Is yes. that what we're saying? It's all downhill. Okay, from here. All right, so I'm going to talk about the Oak Hill preschool Satanic Panic case involving Dan and Fran Keller. So the case of Dan and Fran Keller is just one of many in the 1980s and 90s, just like the one that Tiffany covered um, when Satanic Panic had the world in a chokehold. The Keller case stuck out to me because, in my opinion, and I know I'm not the only one who shared this, it might be one of the worst cases tried on false accusations in the United States since the Salem witch trials. And again, I just want to reiterate, in no way are we blaming the children in these cases. A lot of these false accusations were guided by psychologists, parents, and police that were not qualified to interview these children. Um, And they were just saying, the children were just saying what they thought the adults wanted to hear.
1: 100%. I I mean, that goes for mine as well, which I think was obvious. But yeah. yeah, it's not a child's fault.
0: No. (laughs) No, never. They
1: are children.
0: Yes. Oak Hill Preschool first opened in 1989 by 50-something Dan and his wife, 40-something Fran. They were the Kellers. Fran worked at a deli before 1989. And as her boss was getting ready to have a baby, Fran was tired of working and she was considering quitting and starting something new. Her boss asked her, well, if you're going to quit... Would you consider watching my baby after they're born? And Fran, who was a mother of three grown children, who loved raising her kids and loved watching kids, even when her kids were little, she always had watched other kids and she really loved it and she was missing it. So she agreed to watch her boss's baby and then that baby turned into another baby and then another and eventually they decided to open a preschool. Oak Hill Preschool was nestled in a little Austin, Texas neighborhood with lots of trees lining the quiet residential streets. They also lived at the preschool. The adorable quaint little school had bunnies, doves, a pair of parakeets, a dog, a cat, and a miniature pony named Fancy Dancer. Oh my God. That's so cute. I know. Not to mention a playground and a swimming pool. In 1990, the Oak Hill Preschool had 15 students in their care. By 1991, Dan and Fran would be accused of abusing children during satanic rituals. Now, I'm going to use the names of the children, but only their first names. It's all public knowledge, but mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm just going to use their first names. Three-year-old Christina was just picked up after a half day at the preschool And Christina at this time had only attended intermittently 13 days at this preschool. So Mm -hmm. she was kind of an every now and then kind of student. Um, Her mother and father were going through a very bitter divorce. And Christina had been having some pretty severe behavioral issues, which she was seeing a therapist for. And some of these behaviors had been going on long before she had ever started attending Oak Hill Preschool. And I'm going to take a quote out of one of the articles, which I did not name. Sorry, I'll name them at the end. And like we said, they're always listed in our description. Quote, she was violent toward her mother and often bit her. She once tried to jump out of a moving car. She was behaving like a dog, eating and drinking from a bowl and defecating in the backyard. She once tried to stab the family's dog with a fork. She was inserting toys into her vagina, mostly marbles and crayons. And she was already using rough language, including, but not excluding, buttfuck.
1: Buttfuck?
0: Buttfuck. A three-year-old was Holy... walking around saying buttfuck. I was
1: going to ask how old she was. Oh my God, a lot of this is very um, scary as a parent. That is difficult
0: and scary. Absolutely. So her therapist, Donna David Campbell, had seen Christina over 150 times before this particular day. Once Christina's mother picked her up, they headed to a therapy appointment with Donna David Campbell. And in the car on the way, Christina told her mother she didn't like Mr. Danny. When her mother asked why Christina said that, Christina replied because he pulled her pants down and spanks her like daddy does, or used to, because they were separated. Christina's mother, feeling like she didn't really have the tools to question her further, waited to finish the conversation once they got to therapy. Once they were at therapy, Christina's mother told Donna David Campbell what Christina had said on the way, and after therapy was over, the allegation grew to something even more Horrific than the idea of someone spanking your child. Donna David Campbell during this therapy session got out a pair of anatomically correct dolls and asked Christina to show her on the dolls where Mr. Danny had touched her. Christina had accused Danny of penetrating her with an ink pen more than once. And she also said that he had peed and pooped on her head. She said that Fran Keller, Mr. Danny's wife, had washed the poop out of her hair with a blue shampoo. So that is after speaking with her therapist, Donna David Campbell, that is, it kind of went from, he spanks me like daddy used to, to he pees, he urinates and defecates on me, and he has um, sexually abused me. Those are very scary allegations extremely scary allegations that I can't even imagine as a parent in
1: contrast to my story my story did have some sexual allegations but a lot of the allegations were so bizarre like these mm-hmm. ones are actually within the
0: realm of possibility I guess you would 100%. say 100 percent they are possible it's totally possible yeah and so it, th- th- this is why it's so important that these subject matters are handled delicately with the appropriate authorities because it could spiral out of control and then the real victims are lost Mm -hmm. so once at home later that night christina's mother heard christina crying in the bathroom and christina when she went in christina told her it hurts inside when she urinates and she said that Mr. Danny stuck his pee-pee in her hole and got (gasps) glue everywhere. And it was gross. What? Yes. How? What? Okay. So as a parent, I would absolutely freak out. Like that seems very plausible. Like that actually, unfortunately happens to children. This is so, so, so scary. So, so terrifying. So... I mean, like any mother, Christina's mother took her straight to the emergency room like immediately. This it mom's was... is good. Yes. So it was 11 o'clock and she took her straight to the emergency room where she was examined uh, by Dr. Ma, the emergency room doctor on call. Mm-hmm. Christina's mother told Dr. Ma that Christina had been going behind furniture and trying to insert toys into her own genitals as well as she had been sexually abused previously so dr ma obviously examined her and um took pictures um and then uh said that um christina had abnormalities in the form of two red marks on or around her hymen that could possibly be from sexual abuse but it wasn't definitive That is devastating to hear as a parent, obviously. So the next day, Sheriff Investigator Roger Wade, um, he was the child sexual abuse investigator for the sheriff, got the news of the case. Three-year-old Christina had been allegedly abused at Oak Hill Preschool by Mr. Danny, and he immediately thought of the McMartin preschool case that Tiffany just told us about. Um, he didn't want an identical, expensive, long drawn out trial, um, that had really just happened a few years before, mm-hmm. um, or, uh, uh, you know, several years before he got to work immediately. He met with Christina and her mother and the therapist, Donna David Campbell. He also asked a video interviewer, um, to uh, a qualified video interviewer to well i say quote qualified to ask christina some questions and right from the beginning there were inconsistent answers at one point she said mr danny had touched her with his penis and then at another point she said that he had never touched her or he had never hurt her in any way
1: can i ask you a question so
0: yes do
1: you know if they were saying did he touch you with his penis and she was answering or was she just voluntarily using the
0: language of he touched me with his penis? Um, well, I don't know. It, I couldn't find if they were asking her very like pointed questions. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think it's outside of the realm for her to know that language if she had previously been abused by an adult So she had
1: absolutely been previously abused by an adult.
0: That's what one of the sources I read said, that the mother had told the emergency room doctor that, one, she had been um, acting out in ways, trying to insert toys into her genitals, and that, two, she had been previously abused. So according to that source, um, she had been previously abused. I So, so I don't think it's outside of the realm that she would know that language, but I also don't know if they were pointed questions. Okay. At this point, Roger Wade, investigator Roger Wade, got in touch with the licensing board for preschools and they contacted Fran and Dan Keller and basically said, Hey, there are sexual abuse allegations being made against you. They denied the allegations, and they told the investigator of the licen- licensing board um, to kind of be wary of anything um, specifically that Christina might um, say because she had been caught just in the small time, short time that she was at the preschool, caught in very um, several small lies, and that they could tell that she was kind of troubled. Um, and when they were told that a doctor had found physical evidence of abuse, Dan adamantly denied any wrongdoing, going so far as to say that anybody that would hurt a child in that way should be shot. Meanwhile, Christina's accusations for growing were growing horrifically by the session with Donna David Campbell. She began accusing now Fran of sexual abuse she accused Fran of performing oral sex and then forcing her to reciprocate Um, and at this point Donna David Campbell told investigator Roger Wade that she thought that the accusation was credible this all started in August 1991 and by September the daycare was shut down pending the investigation which I think they were taking this seriously, which I think that they should
1: mm-hmm.
0: have done. I think yeah. in the beginning this started out, um, they they were doing all the right things.
1: Yeah, I mean these like it's obviously we're gonna compare the two cases because we just did them back to back and they're very similar, but these allegations, like I already said, are these are scary and plausible. Compared to most of the allegations in mine. Yes. In my case, there was like two allegations that could have happened. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of them were like
0: physically impossible. Yes. So, Well, <laughs> I'm not done yet. Okay. So then um, parents of two other children that attended the preschool came forward and they contacted Deputy um, Investigator Roger Wade relaying um, more allegations and these two children also started seeing therapist Donna David Campbell and one was three year old VJ and five year old Brandon so these are some of the allegations that the kids were claiming happened uh, by Fran and Don Keller they peed in their hair. They made them drink urine and feces and eat feces. Um, they threatened them with knives if they told anyone. They tied a rope around their necks and threatened to cut their heads off. They poked their legs with needles. They, Dan and Fran had killed their own dog in front of the children. They had stomped cats to death. They had poked a cat with pens and put it in a bag and threw it in a dumpster. They put blood in Kool-Aid and made the kids drink it. Um, and this was just the beginning of the allegations that started to come out with each session and each interview. Um, and then it was at this point that the parents were continuously, these three parents were continuously calling investigator Roger Wade and, um, every day there was like more allegations that they were as they were talking to their kids their their kids were saying and as donna david campbell was having sessions that more allegations were coming out Mm -hmm. so the parents came to the conclusion that this was this had to be satanic rituals and it's satanic ritual abuse um they then they really started to become like physically impossible the children told donna david campbell that their parents and their parents and police that the kellers had taken them on a plane to mexico and that they were um, sexually abused by soldiers in mexico so when they were dropped off in the morning they were all put on a plane flew to mexico were abused and then flown back before they were picked up
1: okay
0: um they were um taken to a cemetery and they, um, dug the Kellers, uh, or they, excuse me, witnessed the Kellers digging up bodies. They witnessed the Kellers cutting up a baby. The Kellers wore white robes around the house sometimes, and they threw kids in the pool with sharks. Uh, at one point, um, Brandon said that Fran and Dan Keller laid him down, tied him up with a rope and, pulled his arm flat and with a knife they cut his arm open took out his arm bone and replaced it with what they called satan's bone um Uh. yes they also told um the therapist that they witnessed um the keller's abusing christina they took her to the graveyard and they dug up a grave and they forced her to carry the bones they also said things like the keller's cut up animals with chainsaws whoa um it was beyond it was getting beyond like physically impossible to take a plane down to mexico and get back in three hours or cut bones out of people and nobody notices that your your arm got cut open and got a new bone in there. Right. So, um, investigator Roger Wade at this point began to become a little bit skeptical of the allegations. They were so outlandish and some were physically impossible because um, neighbors and this was a neighborhood and the Kellers were well liked in their neighborhood. So neighbors and parents were coming in and out of the daycare. Mm-hmm. Uh, um. And um, they would have seen, I think, a, jo- a dog chopped up with a chainsaw at some point. That's pretty messy. I'm just yeah. going to guess.
1: Yes. It's or just... sharks in their pool.
0: Yes. So, um, and he was concerned that the three children making the allegations were seeing the same therapist. Mm-hmm. Um. He admitted that some of the wording was worrisome. As it was in the beginning, it, that they the the abuse definitely seemed plausible. Yeah. Um. Especially regarding Christina's comment about, in, about putting glue inside of her. I mean, we all oh, know I what I hate I'm, that. I know. I fucking hate that. A so lot. It, it's disgusting to even think of it. When investigator Roger Wade talked to Christina's mother, he learned that the night that she said that she had been playing with Elmer's glue just before that. So it is plausible that a three-year-old's mind would put two and two together or combine two thoughts or, or mention that, but it is possible that it did happen. Um, um, Wade, investigator Wade also advised Christina's mother not to contact anyone from the preschool at the beginning of this. And she said she had no contact with the other children. However, she had been in contact with the other parents to let them know of the alleged abuse. And after she was in contact, that's when two other children came forward. Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So investigator Wade was also concerned that parents were influencing the children by continually asking them questions, wanting to get information. And the more questions the parents asked, the more stories the children told. Yeah. Um, Wade was beginning to worry that this was becoming exactly like the McMartin case. And, um, Investigator Roger Wade suspected that there might have actually been some form of abuse in these children's lives, Mm -hmm. but the facts were getting lost in such outlandish allegations.
1: Unfortunately,
0: in both of these
1: cases, there might have actually Mm -hmm. been abused children involved, Mm -hmm. but the abuse was not coming at the hands of a satanic cult. Mm -hmm. And because a satanic cult was... The focus of these cases, the real abuse, it never got taken care of. The real mm-hmm. abusers never, you know, nothing ever happened to them, right. and that's
0: truly tragic. So at this point, it was brought up that the Keller that the Kellers had help abusing the children, a dark-haired woman and a man who looked like singer Kenny Rogers. <laughs> so now we have again like in mcmartin celebrities being dragged into this oh. <laughs> so don oh. call it just it's like it got we have Kenny rogers
1: keep. and, chuck, and norris chuck norris as the as the slide for our satanic panic episode
0: iconic 80s and 90s celebrities right so it's it and that's where it's so important that this is handled sensitively and ethically in the right way because it is it is so likely that these children saw these people on the TV. Yeah. And it's like, in a child's mind, everything kind of gets mashed together. hmm So, Dan Keller was a longtime friend of law enforcement constable Janice White, and soon Janice White and her partner Raul Quintero were accused of abusing the children along with the Kellers. Oh, shit. Yes. So investigator Roger Wade was friends with Janice White because she was also in law enforcement. And due to, you know, a conflict of interest, he um, stepped back from the case and he handed it to Austin PD. And that's when Sergeant Larry Oliver took over the case. So Janice White had an ex-husband whose name was Doug Perry. And Texas Rangers interviewed doug perry for four hours and after four hours doug perry admitted that he abused two of the children with the four other accused adults what yes but he did not know he did not recognize them until after they were pointed out so he didn't know who they were until after the the texas rangers had pointed out the children so he didn't recognize them he was in there for four hours and then he admitted he admitted it
1: the walker texas ranger sorry
0: yeah i know it's like the synchronicity is crazy (laughs) um but quickly doug perry recanted his confession exclaiming that he was coerced to confess by the texas rangers he basically said I was afraid they were never going to let me go until I told them what they wanted to hear. And there are two sides when it comes to Doug Perry's confession. Investigator Roger Wade believes that the confession was coerced. However, the prosecutor believes, the prosecutor in the trial to come, believes that lots of people recant their confessions, especially when it comes to heinous crimes involving children. So he believes like, Yes, he did it, and then he confessed, and then he recanted because he was embarrassed or whatever. The prosecutors believe the confession to be true. And um, at this point, with all of the allegations and the recanted confession, um, the Kellers were indicted by a grand jury, and they were going to trial. So they also... Brought charges against Janice White and Raul Quintero and also Doug Perry. So there's five adults now that have been charged with sexual abuse. Um I'm just gonna recap a little bit because this is kind of like mm-hmm. oh, a lot. All right. So there's three children from Oak Hill Preschool in Austin, Texas. Christina, VJ, and Brandon. Um, they accused Fran and Don Keller of Um, satanic ritual sexual abuse and a whole bunch of other weird stuff Um, and before the trial started and when Austin PD took over the case they drove the kids around town and asked them to point out any places that the Kellers had taken them they pointed out random houses and those people were accused they pointed out cemeteries they pointed out all sorts of places that the Kellers had allegedly taken them to abuse them, and so many other people were, like, dragged into this, random people in random houses. It's wild. And at this point, the only physical evidence was based on the opinion of the emergency room doctor, Dr. Mao, who did the examination on Christina the night that she made her first accusation against Dan Keller Um, and then you have of course the recanted confession of Doug Perry and during it mixed in the allegations there was like they took pictures they took videos they took us to this house and we had to be on a video police investigators and law enforcement never found any photographic evidence no video evidence no physical evidence they searched the preschool they searched the random houses that were pointed out they searched the cemetery they flew over the cemetery to look for like previously dug up graves and they did find one grave that seemed to have like loose or fresh dirt um but they didn't investigate it any further than that As they started to prepare for the trial, prosecutors brought in veteran social worker, Vivian Lewis, who interviewed a number of other children who went to Oak Hill Preschool. And every single child she interviewed said the same thing. No abuse had happened. She requested to... So at that point, she was like, okay, this is very strange. You know, just these three kids out of these horrible monsters had access to, you know, a whole group of children. So she requested to listen to the tapes of the three children being interviewed by Donna David Campbell and investigators, which like in Tiffany's case were taped because they were, you know, interviewing them by law enforcement. And she was shocked by what she heard. Quote, the interviews are rife with pressure, leading questions, promises of rewards. Tell me what Danny did. Tell me what Danny did really leading questions for a child that age. She said, quote, I don't know about you, but if you've got a surprise for me, I'll tell you whatever you want to know, end quote. So they were offering rewards or surprises for telling, answering these questions or like, tell me what Danny did. For example, when Brandon was first interviewed, they said, tell me all the bad things that Mr. Danny did at the school. And he said, well, he cut trees down with chainsaw. He let me ride on the pony. Um, and it was all, like, benign, kind of what mm-hmm. seemed to, like, a five-year-old dangerous. Like, having a chainsaw around kids while they're at preschool is probably not a good idea. Um, but it was all that. He didn't mention anything of abuse. It wasn't until multiple sessions later that he started um talking about allegations of abuse. So Vivian Lewis said she told prosecutors at the time that the interviews were cause for concern and that the allegations based on their interviews didn't possibly couldn't have a lot of merit. And Vivian Lewis said that she was ignored by the prosecution. The prosecution says, oh, Vivian Lewis never said anything to us. Mm -hmm. The trial only lasted for six days whoa yes during the trial on the stand christina denied the allegations that she had originally made doug perry the sheriff's uh law enforcement officer that confessed and then recanted his confession Mm -hmm. um he recanted it also at the trial and the doctor who made the original examination at the emergency room said that the hymen abnormalities could or could not have been from sexual abuse um Mm-hmm. The Like I said, the police also never found any physical evidence or photographic or video evidence of the abuse that was alleged. Mm-hmm. Um, despite all of the inconsistencies and lack of evidence, Fran and Dan Keller were both convicted <gasps> and sentenced to 48 years in prison. Oh, my God. A piece. Oh, my God. Yes. So um, law enforcement... Officer Doug Perry, he was also convicted based on his recanted confession. He was sentenced to 10 years probation and was required to register as a sex offender. Janice White and Raul Octavio, their charges were dropped, which is very fucking weird to me because if they convicted Doug Perry based on his confession, why Mm -hmm. wouldn't they convict them as well? Because he confessed to all of them doing it. Yeah. So... The Kellers didn't do themselves any favors during the trial, so before the trial, they flew to Vegas to go stay with their daughter, which um, looked, in public opinion, looked like they were fleeing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said, although they verified it and and you know asked their attorney and got the green light, um, it, it looked bad, and. Um, also, the jury thought and public opinion thought that they weren't being emotional enough during the trial. And the Kellers said that they were so shocked by the allegations that they were in, like, a perpetual state of, like, shock. fog. Yeah. Like, shock and fog and that they just tried to stay stoic during the trial. So, in this was in 1991, 1992, early 1992. So in 2013, the Kellers appealed their case, and they won. They won based on they didn't receive a f- fair trial, and um, they were released from prison after serving 21 years. They both served 21 years in prison. Oh, my God. That is fucking devastating. Yes. They didn't see each other for two over two decades. The emergency room doctor, Dr. Mao, testified at the appeal, stating that he had made a mistake. Years oh after the initial exam, he had attended a conference and learned that the abnormalities he saw in Christina's, on Christina's genitals um, were, in fact, normal variations and not caused by sexual abuse.
1: Jesus Christ.
0: Yes, and although they were released in 2013, the Court of Appeals, without stating why, refused to actually declare them innocent. So they were released, but they were not exonerated. And because they weren't exonerated, they weren't eligible for financial compensation. They also were considered um, sex offenders, so they couldn't get a job. No one would hire them. And they also had this big fear looming over them that they could be retried and prosecuted again. And it wasn't until 2015 that the district attorney officially declared declared them innocent, exonerated them. And in 2017, they were awarded $3.4 million by the state of Texas for compensation of being wrongfully convicted. Now... I couldn't find a lot on Doug Perry and that was the guy who confessed and then recanted yeah so he actually as far as this article um, I believe the article is written in maybe 2018 so at least during the time of the article he was in prison for failing to upstate his status on the sex offender registry hmm. um, in Texas so I don't know if he I believe like reasonable thinking would uh, lead me to think that he was on the registry because he confessed to a sex crime that he didn't do or that he recanted and he was convicted and then required. Yeah. And then, so I I couldn't find out if this was why he's on the registry for sure or if he committed some other crime. So as of 2008, Austin PD, and that's a long time ago, you know, Mm -hmm. Austin PD and the district attorney um, believed that the conviction, um, they believe they still believed all the outlandish allegations, and that they believed that the original conviction was just. Um, investigator Roger Wade believes that the Kellers are innocent, along with Vivian Lewis. In fact, Vivian Lewis, a social worker that saw that spoke to the other students um, of the daycare or preschool, and said, "Hey guys, I actually don't think." we should be using these interviews, as evidence. Mm-hmm. She uses these tapes in seminars that she gives as what not to do. Another thing our case is having in common. Yes, um, and this is a quote, and I, I just want to end this case um, with a quote from University of Texas at El Paso Psychology. Um, Professor James Wood wrote, quote, There is now general agreement among reputable scholars that the daycare abuse panic was a 20th century manifestation of witchcraft fever of the same kind that swept Salem, Massachusetts in 1692 and Western Europe in the centuries before that. Wow.
1: a little too late. Justice for the couple that were wrongly convicted
0: for 20 years. That's fucking awful. I know. And in the the articles that I read, um, a lot of them said that the um, children declined to be interviewed and the parents d- declined to be interviewed. Um, one article stated that the children at the time in 2013 were um, upset that they were released, that they stood by their claims of abuse. Um, so it's just... Because they declined to be interviewed, like, this -hmm. happened so long ago, I don't know how they are feeling at this point, or if they would recant their allegations, or they stand by their allegations, I'm not sure. But they were, the colors were exonerated, and they were compensated by the state of Texas. Wow. I know. That's a crazy story. Great job. Thanks. You too. I know. This is, this is satanic panic in the daycare realm and it is terrifying
1: it's scary it's con at least in mine i felt like my story was convoluted so thank you for bearing with me it was a lot of bizarre stuff going on Mm -hmm. but uh there's plenty more where this came from so if you want to learn more about the satanic panic
0: see us next week and for the rest of the month stay tuned for spooky season so thank you so much for listening and on that note don't forget to love yourself lock your doors and listen to your gut cheers to that cheers to that right well pardon the pun but the road to hell is paved in good intentions yep and they are on that road yes they are